Let's turn to God's word together um, just for a few minutes. It's good to be right with God, I think, sometimes, and focus on him and then look at his word together. Um, And we're going to be looking at that word integrity in a minute. But should we just pray as we just come to to do that? Shall we pray? Father God, we just pray now as we look at your word. Lord, you just give us open hearts. Lord, none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. We do things, Lord, that you ask us not to. Sometimes we do it deliberately, Lord, sometimes because we're not thinking. But, Lord, we know that you're a gracious God and a God who loves us. And, Lord, it's such a weird thing because you call us to be perfect. You call us, Lord, to be the absolute best. Yet, Lord, you recognize that even um, despite that call, Lord, we're sinful. We muck it up. We get it wrong. Yet you love us, Lord, that even when we get it wrong uh, and we don't hit your highest standard, Lord, you bring us back and you love us as your children. And we thank you for that grace and that compassion uh, even when we fall from your glory. So, Lord, speak to us now and we pray. Challenge us, remind us, encourage us. And may we leave this place more like your son than when we first came in. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I wonder, who do you admire most in your life? You don't have to tell me, or you can shout out if you really want to. Um, I'll be embarrassed if it's me, of course. Um, but not that embarrassed, I don't want you to do it. No, all right, fair enough. <laughs> it's too late now. Um, I admire a lot of people. Um, I actually consider myself a, a great watcher of people. Um, Ever since I was like 10, I can remember watching people and thinking, oh, I like the way they do that. When I get to their age, I'm going to do it. Uh, and no pressure. Some of you who are older than me, I'm watching you to see what bits of your character I like the most so that when I hit my 50s and my 60s or whatever, uh, so I can emulate that. Um, so it's a good thing to do. I consider myself a bit of a people watcher. And uh, when parenthood, um, this job, uh, any other role I've got, I'm always looking at what people do wrong, what people do right. And of all the people that I admire, there's one man that I admire probably uh, above most others, actually. Um, and that's my father-in-law, Alan. Andrew is dead. Um, I didn't tell Andrew I was going to say this, and don't tell him what I'm about to tell you. Um, not that he would get a big head, quite the opposite, but he would probably hate what I'm about to say, but never mind. So this will be our little secret, unless, of course, he's listening to the uh, sermon on the website, in which case... I'm oh, oh, sorry, Alan. <laughs> um, my father-in-law is a great man. Um, he's fun, he's easygoing, he's a Tottenham supporter, which is a, so Tottenham supporter, easygoing, great man. Um, no, sorry, yeah, no, no, that's the right way around. Um, but what I admire most about him, and I always have done since probably the first day I met him, is that he is a man of great integrity. When Alan says he'll do something, guess what? Pretty much all the time, he does it. If he says he'll be there, he'll be there. If he says he'll pick you up, he'll pick you up. If he says he'll be at that meeting, he'll be at that meeting. He always tries to do what's right, regardless of the personal cost. And there are two examples that I want to share. Two examples that maybe you'd have done a different thing to. A few years ago, we went to France as a family. We go every year, it feels like. Um, I need to go somewhere else. And um, um, we hired cars, and uh, we came out of some castle, a chateau. They've got them all over the place in France, haven't they? You can't move for a chateau. And um, somebody had knocked into Alan's hire, hire car. Now, if you've got a magnifying glass out, you've seen the dent. It, was, it wasn't big. It wasn't like a huge like the wing of the car had been taken off. It was about that big. It was hardly anything. Now, I wasn't thinking this, but a lesser person would have thought, well, leave it. You know, put the car back into the hire company. They rip you off anyway. Uh, so it's, they're tough, isn't it? So go in, and then when they say there's a dent, you say, no, oh, no, no, it was always there. A lot of people would do that. 
and maybe you think that's okay. But my father-in-law got a police report. Um, he went, and when he dropped the, poli- the car in, he announced to them that there was a dent that happened whilst he hired the car. They charged him uh, quite a lot of money for that dent. But at no point did it cross his mind that it would be anything other than right to point it out. He didn't care the personal cost. He just wanted to be honest. Another example is when my mother and both my mother-in-law and him moved house. They moved house together. That's generally a good idea if you're married. And uh, they moved from Chapel Heath to where they are now, near Colchester. And uh, they had a big cabinet. And they, do what mo- they did what most people had done 20 years before they moved. They'd forgotten this. That they painted around the cabinet rather than move it out and paint behind it. Um, which is okay until you go to move house. And then Alan, as he moved it out, discovered a huge four-foot by six-foot square in the middle of their... Um, in the middle of their wall. Now, again, a lesser person would have thought, well, stuff it, they've probably paid less than the asking price. It's up to them. They're probably going to paint the walls anyway. Who cares? But he got in the car, went to B&Q, and bought the exact paint and painted it. Most people would have left it. In his mind, it was his house to hand over to someone else, and he wasn't going to leave it in anything else than a good condition. He has a high sense of morality and always tries to follow it, and regardless of the personal cost, And I honestly think that I'm a better husband, father, and man for knowing him. I really do. And it got me thinking this week about this topic of integrity. Because the way you live your life affects other people. You may not think it. Alan will not even realize it. But the way you live your life can change other people. Because guess what? They do the same thing that I do. Which is watch people and think, I like that. I'm going to emulate that. I want to be like that person. Wouldn't it be good to be the one who's admired because you do the right thing, because you have a high moral code that you follow? As parents, um, we try to educate our two, we try to uh, instill in them a a good attitude. We say to them almost every day um, that they should be, um, sorry, I nearly said the wrong way around, that not to be followers of the crowd. We say, be leaders of the crowd. Don't go with the crowd, lead it. And if you're going to lead it, be a good leader. Of the crowd, we try and say that as often as we can. They go to bed going, follow the crowd, the leaders of the crowd. In their sleep, it's becoming their mantra. But group dynamics are a strange thing, aren't they? Because have you noticed how you can have a group of five or six or seven or eight friends who all get on well or equal, they get on as a good group dynamic, and one miserable so and so joins it, and the whole thing goes. Or one bitter person comes in, and they all start infighting. Or one person comes in and gossips. And that whole group that formerly was a great, lovely group becomes backbiting and not very nice. Equally, if you noticed how a group of people that fight and hate each other can just have one person join it, and they suddenly calm down because that one person always takes the high road, always forgives, always speaks kindly. I remember when Andrew and I lived in Bangladesh, uh, I was a part of a a little organisation out there, and uh, there was a little managing committee, if you like, and I was on it, there were about 12 of us, and, uh, and it all was working fine until one guy who happened to work for DFID, the Department for International Development. So he had a very high-powered job, very important, prestigious job, and he joined this particular group, this guy, and he was quite confident. He was quite domineering, I guess you'd say. He had a lot of money that impresses some people. Um, and so he joined this group, and about three months in, he said to us, well, I've got a really good idea. And he came out with an idea, which I won't share, It was awful. It was beyond bad. And I sat there at 20 years old, 21 years old, thinking, ah, this guy's going to get kicked out. 
no one's going to think this is a good idea. And I watched like dominoes as every single adult in that group started going, well, maybe you've got a point. Could be a good idea. And they all just came around because they were frightened and dominated by this guy. And there were only two of us, me and this New Zealander guy, who, um, and as Mark will tell you, people in that part of the world, they don't mince their words, do they? And, uh, and he was uh, from New Zealand, so that makes him better, doesn't it? Or, or, or worse, I get confused. The same. Depends what island. <laughs> and, uh, and me and him were the only two that stood up to this guy, and eventually it went back to normal. But one man nearly got one group of adults to do something terrible. How bad is that? Today, I wonder, in your groups of friends, in your families, in your work scenarios, uh, wherever you are, which one are you? Are you the person that goes in and makes things better because of the way you speak and behave? Or are you the one that goes in and makes it worse because you've always got the hump? Or you're always uh, putting a bit of gossip uh, or bringing the group down? Do you set a good example to those around you? Do we follow the crowd or do we lead and lead well? Today I want to think about just briefly that word integrity and the power of it in our lives. Because make no mistake, integrity and people that have it are rare. There are less and less people with integrity these days. We're goal-orientated, career-focused, not integrity-focused, I wonder. It's a beautiful characteristic, integrity. It is wonderful when you see somebody with it. It changes situations. Integrity draws people towards you but it takes genuine guts to be somebody with integrity it takes genuine bravery to go against the crowd not go along with it it is gutless to follow the crowd it is gutsy to stand against it god calls you to be gutsy and me this morning What is integrity? Well, the Oxford Dictionary, um, not just a free one you get on Google, the Oxford Dictionary, so it's most certainly correct, um, says this, that integrity is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, or it's a state of being whole, or internal consistency, or a lack of corruption. Integrity is about having a lack of of corruption and being honest and having strong moral principles. It's about knowing what's right all the time, believing it and sticking to it no matter what the cost. And the uh, the person with the most integrity in all of human history is, of course, Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, if if you've got it, um, you know the story of Jesus as he's baptized in the Jordan and the Spirit comes down and God the Father says, this is my son, Um, He goes into the desert for 40 days. He's led there by the Holy Spirit. And in those 40 days, he fasts, doesn't eat, uh, and he's tired and he's hungry. And in that 40 days, he's tested, tempted by the devil himself. Just like in the Garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve and the snake, this is a new Adam, this is a new era of human history, and the the devil comes face to face with Jesus. And in verse 2, we read this. It says, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights... He was hungry. The tempter came to him. It's funny, the devil attacks him not when he's at his most strongest, but at his most weakest. Have you noticed that temptation comes mainly when you're tired or when you're hungry or when you're not kind of healthy on a level playing field? He attacks Jesus at his weakest moment. And he says to him very simply, if you are the son of God, prove it. Turn these stones to bread. Jump off that building so the angels catch you. Worship me. If you're the son of God, prove it. 
He's trying to attack Jesus' integrity. But Jesus knows that it's not his job to prove that he's a son of God by doing a cheap miracle. How many people will say to you as a Christian, well, if God's real, get him to do that for me. That's not how God works. He doesn't do cheap miracles. He does important miracles. Miracles that change people's eternities. He doesn't just change a bit of paper into a tomato so you might decide he's God. He's got higher principles than that, believe me. The devil attacks his integrity. See, Jesus knows that proving he's the son of God comes at the cross as he dies and is risen again, not by some cheap miracle. And so he attacks his integrity. He attacks the strong moral code of following his father's will. And why does the devil attack his integrity? Because once you break your moral code, I don't mean by accident necessarily, but when you break it deliberately, knowing it's wrong and doing it anyway, when you break that moral code, very soon your character becomes corrupted. Because once you cross the line, it's really hard to never cross it again. And so in the next chapter of that same book, Jesus is going to raise the bar when he talks about sin. He's going to say in chapter 5 of Matthew, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in her heart. In other words, have a high moral code. Because once you cross the line, you never go back. So yeah, it's not good enough to say, oh, I've never had an affair, God. Because God's integrity is higher and he expects it of his people as well. Once you stray, it's harder to not stray a second time. And let me just say, if you're a bit younger here this morning, maybe you're getting to an age where you're starting to go out on your own and your mum and dad are finding it harder to tell you to stay in. And then they try and sort of, you know, you know you're at that stage because they stop saying, get in by nine. They start saying, could you come in by nine? Maybe t- 11? That's okay. I'll pick you up. And in a few years' time, you're going to leave home, go to uni, um, and you're going to do all the things that you want to do. Your parents won't be able to stop you. You can do everything. The world will be your oyster. Well, let me give you a word of warning from someone who's 38 and not 18. And on behalf of lots of people in this room who were once 18. Because that period of 17 to 25 is an amazing time of your life. You get to do so many brilliant things for the very first time, and life just feels awesome. Yet in that period, you can make some of the worst mistakes in your entire life. Sleeping around, doing stuff you shouldn't do, making mistakes that you have to live with the rest of your life. Be careful what you use your freedom for over those next five, six, seven years because the cost may dog you until the grave. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes to a group of Christians who think they've got it sorted but haven't really. And they had a phrase in the church of Corinth, or in the city of Corinth, should I say, and the phrase went like this, I have the right to do anything. And Paul writes back, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, Paul says to those Christians, just because you can do it, and culture says you should do it, doesn't mean it's going to be good for you. As you get older, be very careful. Jesus showed his integrity when he was weak and tired and hungry. The second time Jesus showed his integrity was at the age of 33, three years after this temptation, when hanging on a cross, abandoned by his friends, alone, covered in the sin of the world, having been spat on and beaten up, punched and kicked, crowned with thorns, taken the mickey out of. As he hangs there, he still follows the integrity of following his father's will when he cries out, Father, forgive them, 
for they do not know what they do. What would you have said? Would have said, Lord, punish them. Look what they've done to me. But Jesus says, Father, forgive them because he follows his Father's will. That was his integrity. A person with integrity sees good and does good when no one is watching. A person with integrity um, does the good even when it's inconvenient and not easy. A person with integrity is good when no one's watching. A person with integrity is more satisfied by doing right than climbing the social ladder or the career ladder or the financial ladder by dishonest means. A person of integrity is brave enough to not follow the crowd. A person of integrity is happy to ignore the line, you are so boring. Everybody's doing it. Come on, it'll be a laugh. Integrity is a bravery to say, no way. I remember being at school, just about, um, and being over the back of the field, and uh, we were a little group of us. I hated school. It was the worst time of my life. And, um, and so I was always on tender hooks about doing the right thing in case I got my head kicked in by somebody. And I remember this, this guy came up. He was a really rough, roughest kid in school, and he had a cigarette, and he was like that. And he walked up, and, uh, and he said, uh, do you want a fag? And I thought, ooh, it's tricky, isn't it? If I say no, he's going to call me names and probably hit me. If I say yes, then I've done something I don't want to do. And uh, one by one, all my friends uh, had, a, had a puff. And it came around to me, and I said, no, thank you very much. I'm not a, no, no, thank you. And then he uh, told me what he thought of that decision. And I can't repeat that here. I haven't written it down either. Um, but that's surely what we're supposed to do. Stand against the flow, even if you're sworn at even if people think you're an idiot. Integrity respects its parents, doesn't cut corners, and is able, crucially, to look itself in the mirror every single morning. Wouldn't it be good to look yourself in the mirror and go, I like you? (laughs) Not, (laughs) So let me give you some Bible verses about integrity, mainly from Psalms and Proverbs. Psalm 15, um, hang on. Psalm 15, it's a little bit long, um, says this. says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts, and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent, whoever does these things will never be shaken. Integrity brings us closer to God. It is close to godliness. Christians should be great people of integrity. You might get the mickey taken out of you for being weird or boring, um, but do you know what? It is close to godliness. Psalm 25 verse 21 says, May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. Integrity protects your character. You see, when you, say, when you do what you say, when you say what you mean, when your moral code is of a high nature, the amount of skeletons in your closet, guess what, is greatly reduced. If you have to spend your life telling lie after lie after lie to cover up that lie and cover up this one and down there and go around that corner, guess what? Someone's going to find out and all the skeletons are going to come bounding out of your closet at some point. Yet if you are just honest and straight, you have nothing 
to fear from someone that might find something. It protects you. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. It's a great word, duplicity, isn't it? Um, And if you're going to go through life cheating and lying and cutting corners, the Bible says you're going to fall into your own trap. If you build your relationships on backbiting and gossip and nastiness, at some point you're going to fall into one of those traps, whether you like it or not. But the righteous, those who have integrity and follow the laws of God, have no traps to fall into. And then Proverbs 28 verse 6 says, Better the poor whose walk, sorry, better the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. Today is the reverse thinking, isn't it? Better the rich by any means than be poor and unknown. But the Bible says, no way. Better to have nothing, yet better look yourself in the mirror than be absolutely filthy rich but ashamed of yourself. It's better to go to die a pauper with integrity. On your final day of your life, I'm not there yet, I'll let Hello? That's not good, is it? Oh yeah, better the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. And it's often reverse uh, in today's thinking, isn't it? But on your final day of life, as your life ebbs away, I imagine that one of your last conscious thoughts isn't going to be, how much have I got in the bank? Uh, How big is my inheritance for the family? I imagine the final thought you have as you come to the end of your life is that, is simply this. Have I lived my life well? Was I a good human being? And if you're a Christian, you should be thinking, was I a good servant of the King of Kings? That is what's important, not the other way. So the Bible says better to be skint and be able to think that on your deathbed than loads of money. Um, There are two types of integrity. Um, There's the integrity that you have just from your own moral compass. And then there's the true sense of integrity, where you follow the laws of the King of Kings in the Bible. And when we take God's truths, God's ethics and God's morals, you can read Matthew 5, 6 and 7 for a bit of the morality of the kingdom of God and the Sermon on the Mount. Um, But when when you put into practice God's morals, forgiving your neighbor, loving your enemy, giving to the poor, etc., etc., God moves in our lives and I believe he grows us and he guides us. Integrity for the Christian is bound up in being like Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 says your attitude should be like Jesus Christ who thought it nothing to make himself a servant. It's about being Christ-like, following his way, where our words and our thoughts and our actions are like Jesus and no one else. And so how can you have more integrity this morning? Well, you can follow the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. You can follow the first commandment of the Ten Commandments, which is about having no one before God. You can allow the Holy Spirit to refine you by growing fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. You can know your Saviour and start every day determined to be and react and talk the way he did, not the way you do. So, let me just apply this as I come to an end. Let me ask you some questions. We'll start at the lower end of uh, the age group. School, college, uni, if you're any of those this morning, how do you use your freedom? You're out the house, 8.30 till 5 maybe. Maybe you go out in the evening with your mates. What do you do with that freedom? Is it good? Is it honouring to your family? Is it honouring to God? Do you use it for anything that your friends tell you to do? Or are you brave enough to go against the crowd? Do you cheat on coursework? 
Do you Google things that you shouldn't and add it in? Do you cut corners? Do you follow the crowd? What about those of you that go to work? Do you steal the proverbial office pen? Half an hour here on the timesheet. I'll just put that there, or I'll take that home with me, or I'll do that there, or I'll say I work from home, but I watch telly for most of the day. Do you honour your boss in the way you speak, even though he or she gets on your nerves and is the most terrible person you can think of? Do you love them, and do you pray for them, and do you honour them by working hard for them, even if they don't deserve it? Are you the one in the... uh, the canteen or the staff room or somewhere spreading gossip and stirring up dissension and what about our home what's our integrity like in our marriages do we actually talk to our husbands or wives um, Maxwell I don't think he's here this morning made a, a good point about our relationship with God it's like a marriage to, your, to a husband or a wife and if you'd never spoke to your wife uh, from one week to the next you'd have a rubbish relationship with her obviously um, but what about that do we actually talk to our husbands or wives? Do we go out? Do we make space for them? If you're a man, do you very occasionally buy your wife a bouquet of flowers and say, I love you? If you're a wife, do you do things, you know, the, the, obviously the manly version of a, a bunch of flowers? Um, do you let your husband know that you're still fond of him after all these years? Do you have a date night? What about with our children? Do we actually put them first or is everything else first? Is everything else first and they come third? Are we angry at home? but happy with everybody else. Big smile when we leave the house, but when we get in, and we take it out on the kids. And as a married couples or partners here, do you love them in the way Jesus loved his church? The Bible says he loved his church, that he died for it. And I think it's Colossians that says, that's how you're supposed to love your wife, if you're a husband. That's how wives are supposed to respect their husbands. And what about our money? What about our integrity there? Um, what do we spend our money on? Are we still trying to serve two masters, money and God, because we'll hate one and love the other? And I tell you, you hate God before you hate money if you try and serve two masters. Do we declare everything once a year? Do we pay all of our taxes? Are we good stewards of our money, not getting into needless debt, but saving for the future? Are we generous with what God has given us, regardless of how much it is? Do we bless the mission of a local church? Do we bless those who have less than us in our town and in our world? Have we caused a relationship to break up because of greed over money or inheritance? Why am I saying all this this morning? I'm saying all this because integrity is powerful. People with integrity cause trust to grow in almost every setting. And our mission and our message will be made more powerful when it's lived out and delivered with personal Christ-like integrity. And so I just want to have just two minutes before we sing our final song. I'm going to ask you to stand. You've been sitting down a long time. Sorry. If you could stand, why not? And then we'll sing our, we'll go straight into our song, if that's all right. But I just want to ask three things and give you a chance to pray. Because maybe there are areas of life where we've not honoured God and our integrity has been lacking well, let's do one thing first of all. Let's just ask God for forgiveness. Lamentations 3.22 says the mercy of God is new every single morning. And so this morning, just ask for God for forgiveness. And then pray for those situations where the crowd is dragging you that way. And ask God to give you courage to stick to his morals. Let's just do that now before we sing.
actually, if we could all just keep our eyes shut for a second. I want to give you a chance to respond physically. Maybe this week there's something you've done where you know you've cut a corner or you've not acted the way you should do as a Christian. I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up. Everyone's going to keep their eyes shut. If that's you, if you've done something you shouldn't have done this week, just put your hand up. Just between us and God. No one's watching. I want to pray. Father God, we ask for forgiveness. We acknowledge in public, even with our eyes shut, just with a hand in the air, that we have not lived with full integrity this week. That we have done things that you have expressly said not to do. We ask for forgiveness in the name of Jesus. We know, Lord, that you can clean us on the inside. We know, Lord, your mercy is new every single morning. And that we love you for that. We love you, Lord, that you provided salvation and you provide forgiveness on a daily basis and a minute-by-minute basis. And Lord, I thank you that there is nothing that we've done so bad that, Lord, we can't be yours and close to you and in your family here in this church. Lord, as a, a group of people, Lord, may we always honour and respect each other. May we always honour and love you. Lord, at work and at home, with our families, with our partners, may everything we do, Father, honour you. So we ask forgiveness for things we've done. We ask for strength, for courage, to be strong in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just as we put our hands down, we're going to sing our final song together.